All right. Uh, I'd like to begin the message then today. <clears throat> um, title of the message is From Survival to Security. And the theme that's underlying it all, which I'm going to try to get across, is the, the concept of emotional connection between us and God, between us and other people, and um, not only how important it is, but why we have an opportunity in the age in which we live to experience that in, in, a, in a way that uh, previous generations never really had a chance to do. So I want to go into uh, try to explain that um, in the time we have left here. So um, how would you answer this question? Do you think it's important for husbands and wives to have a deep emotional connection with each other? In other words, do you think marriages are stronger if husbands and wives have a deep emotional connection? I think most people would say yes. Maybe you had to think about it, but, uh, and actually I can, I can clarify, science, uh, scientific research now confirms that that's true. They've done studies and uh, marriages where the husbands and wives have strong emotional connections are, are stronger marriages. Now what about this? Do you think it's important for parents and children to have strong emotional connections with each other? What do you think about that? Yeah. I think so, and most of us would kind of maybe assume that. Um, and scientific research, again, from the last half of the last century onward has confirmed that when, when kids have strong emotional connections with their parents, then they end up being stronger, more independent, more uh, capable, thriving um, adults. So, but would you be surprised, because I was surprised to learn this, that as recently as 100 years ago, if I had asked those questions, nobody would say yes. None of you would say that emotional connection matters in your marriage or in, uh, in parenting. Um, it's crazy to think about, but this is really a brand new idea. When the marriage research I mentioned um, when the, the researcher did that and said, you know, I think emotional connection with husbands and wives, I think it matters. Um, people said, no, 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 no. No, marriage depends on, a good marriage comes from communication skills, um, uh, conflict resolution strategies, uh, commitment to one another. You don't need emotional connection. That was as, as recently as basically 50 years ago before this research. People didn't think emotional connection mattered. That much, And with parenting, the guy that pioneered this research uh, in England in the 1950s, and he said emotional connection matters, um, he was mocked. He said, are you, uh, people said, are you kidding me? We can't, we can't coddle our kids. You know, we can't make them soft. We can't make them wimpy. They'll, they'll, they'll grow up and they won't be able to do anything in life. We can't, we can't prioritize emotional connection. It was, cra it was an, a crazy, a literally crazy idea as recently as 100 years ago. <clears throat> now, think about this question. Um, do you think it's important for believers to have a deep emotional connection with God? Okay. And, and I think most people would say yes. Um, some of you might think, uh, I'm not sure, and just to clarify, I'm not saying, do you believe uh, God loves us? Because any of us could point to a thousand scriptures that say God loves us. But when I'm talking about a deep emotional connection, I mean, uh, 
a, a, a relationship of affection, of intimacy, of, of kindness, of caring between one another. Well, that's actually kind of a new, uh, uh, a new model of faith as well. And um, <clears throat> um, in fact, the faith tradition I grew up in, so we're going back, call it 50 years, uh, when I was coming to Christ, um, the people in my church would have been very suspicious of the word emotion. And uh, they, they might have um, thought it's going to be connected to emotionalism, which is to say that, um, you know, I, only, I can only believe God if I feel like he's around. And so we're, when, when we're talking about emotional connection, we're not talking about emotionalism. But the, the church I grew up with, with in would probably... Um, say, look, faith depends on um, choosing to follow God. It's true. We believe the Bible because it's true, and we follow God because it's true. It's a commitment. Uh, it's a choice. Love is a choice. It doesn't really have to involve emotions. And that really reflects the, the thinking, as I was saying, of 100 years ago or so, where um, emotional connection wasn't that, thought to be that important. So... Anyway, what I want to uh, suggest is that there's been this emotional, emotionally distant model of living that's gone on for thousands and thousands of years and has only recently begun to shift. And I want to talk about why. <clears throat> it goes back to the, the curse of uh, the fall, the curse of sin in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. This is God speaking. And to Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. God was saying that uh, the curse of sin, what this means for you is it's going to be very, very hard to live from now on. Just eking out uh, what you need, to, to food you need to live on is going to be hard. The ground's going to be working against you, in fact. Um, from this point on, after the fall, all of humanity was focused on one thing, survival. It took all of their effort, all of their energy just to keep surviving, to keep passing on from one generation to the next and survive. And, and it's not just uh, the ground and, and producing food. I think there have been three big threats that are a result of sin, result of the curse of sin, um, that have been plaguing mankind for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, <clears throat> these three major threats to humanity are economic, depriva economic deprivation, that's where we have to work super hard just to make it through and, and get just enough uh, food to, to live on. And we're always concerned about crop failures, um, all kinds of um, weather disruptions, things like that. Sickness and disease. There are tons of laws in the Torah as we go through where God specifically says, you need to do a bunch of things here in order not to experience all the sickness and disease that's going to be all around you because it's everywhere, man. It's everywhere. So there's tons of sections in the Torah about how to live to avoid sickness and disease. And then violent assault. Right after the fall, um, 
Cain kills Abel in the Garden of Eden, and, um, or outside the Garden of Eden. And Cain, the first thing he does when he has a discussion with God about it, he's, he tells God, hey, I need some protection. Will you protect me? Because if I go out there, everybody's going to want to kill me. They know I killed a guy. Everybody's going to want to kill me. That was right at the beginning of, of our lifetime after, after the, uh, leaving the Garden of Eden. And really, if you look through the Old Testament, the story of the children of Israel has always been um, somebody's just getting ready to invade, somebody's going to steal your crops, somebody's going to take you away as a slave. On and on and on, that's been um, the experience. So here's the thing. I believe that man has been caught in what I call survival living since the beginning of uh, the fall of man. So for simplification purposes, I'm going to say roughly 6,000 years, call it 6,000 years of human history, mankind has been living this, this way of life called survival living, just trying to avoid these three big threats that, that threaten to wipe us out. And you can see it as, as recently as in the 20th century, when I talk about parenting and children, how many of you have either heard of this model of fatherhood or you've experienced it yourself? The dad believes his job, his responsibility as a father is to work his butt off, earn a paycheck, bring home the money, bring home the food, put clothes on his kid's back. If he has any time and energy left over, He'll sit in, the, in front of the TV after supper until he goes to sleep and then wake up and do it all over again, right? There, that was a very common way of thinking about fatherhood um, 100 years ago. Survival marriage, this is something that I didn't know, but in 1939, when women were asked, what are the, the most important attributes in a husband to you? What do you want? If you could pick a husband, what would you, what would you want in them? Love or emotional connection was number four on the list, okay? Above it are things like he has to be a good provider. He has to work hard. He has to be able to give me children, things like that, things that are um, exactly what survival marriage looks like. And that was in 1939, less than 100 years ago. That was the, the typical way of looking at marriage. And survival faith... Um, is a kind of faith where um, it's, it's founded on ritual, tradition, following rules. So if there's a rule that I'm supposed to go to church on Sunday, I go to church on Sunday. If there's a rule that I'm supposed to take communion, I take communion. If there's a rule to do this or that, I follow all the rules because I just don't want to get on God's bad side. I don't want to do anything that would kind of upset him um, because he might, he might react strongly if I upset him. That's that's a model of, survi of survival faith. So, actually, though, what people have been missing for the 6,000 years is that God was revealing his heart all along that he, he really wanted an emotional connection. Um, in Exodus 34, 6, says, God passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And interestingly, not long before this encounter that Moses had with God, God invited all of Israel, 
all of Israel to come up on the mountain and experience his presence. He invited the whole nation. <laughs> and, and everybody said, no, 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 we can't do that. Moses, you go. We can't do it. He might burn us up. And so he, God was inviting them into connection, but they were practicing survival faith because they were, they were worried about being burned up. Jeremiah 31.3, <clears throat> the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. So he's saying um, their kindness is one aspect of my, my love, my relationship to you. I'm going to the next slide. Isaiah 40.11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Close to his heart suggests affection, intimacy. Um, he gently leads those. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then King David, in writing Psalm 27, says this, verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And then, though, in verse 10, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So David had a revelation of something that most other people did not get, which was a relationship with God that involved intimacy, emotional connection, affection. Um, it's what I call security faith as opposed to survival faith. Security faith is faith that is characterized by the security that comes from knowing that I am loved by God with a love that is deep, abiding, and unconditional. By deep, I mean it's infinite. It's, it's enormous. It's vast. By abiding, I mean it lasts forever. It's eternal. And unconditional means, of course, you can't earn it. You can't do anything uh, you can't produce anything that would earn his love. And David, uh, in Psalm 27, is an example of somebody who had a revelation of that kind of relationship with God, that kind of confidence in his love. So all through history, there have been individuals, a few people here and there, that by a special revelation of God they could understand, oh yeah, God wants to connect with us this way. There are writings of saints from you know, a few hundred years ago that, um, that we can read today where they, they had a revelation of this as well. But for almost everybody, this is what I want you to appreciate, for almost everybody, that was not what they experienced. It was hidden from people because of their need to pursue uh, uh, the avoidance of these three big threats. There was no capacity in their mind or their soul to engage with God on that level for, the, for most people. Some people with special revelation got it. So, so why do we think differently now? I just said we, we agree that here in the 21st century we believe differently about emotions. Um, what's happened... Um, to change the way we look at the idea of emotional connection. Basically, 
Here's what's happened in the last 100 years. All three of those big threats have been reduced dramatically to the point of really being effectively eliminated. Here's what I mean by that. So for uh, economic deprivation, for example, if you were here for the Sabbath series that we had uh, just uh, last month, the presenter, John Mark Comer, in one of the talks, he gives some stats about our society today. He mentions that our homes today are three times larger than they were in 1945. Uh, we have 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage capacity just to store the stuff that we can't fit into our three times larger homes. So um, basically, we have tons more now than we, than we ever did. And I'm not making light here of the idea of food insecurity. I know in Cincinnati, the United States, there are still pockets of food insecurity where people struggle with that. But for most of us, for the general population in America, and, and I should say I'm talking about Western civilization here too. There are, de there are developing nations where they're still battling one or two or all three of those big threats. But for those of us here in this room in Western civilization, if we're concerned about finances now, it's almost always because we're, we're wondering whether we're going to be able to attain the American dream. It's not, are we just going to survive and have food on the table? And the, and the idea, the fact that there is even an idea called the American dream proves that we're not battling for survival anymore. We've gone way beyond that. So that's the economic deprivation. Sickness and disease. You, you, you see a new medical advancement every day in the paper all the way through the 20th century, uh, whether it was antibiotics or vaccines or uh, advancements in treating heart disease, cancer, on and on and on. There's, there's new discoveries uh, every day. Uh, all of that has improved our life expectancy from in 1800. Um, no nation in the world in 1800 had a life expectancy greater than 40 40 years, and today it's almost 80 in developed nations like the United States. So a doubling in a couple of hundred years. And then the violent, the threat of violent assault, okay? Um, they have stats on this, which I didn't realize until I looked it up. But you can go back in, in, in the 1500s, uh, between four and eight people out of 100,000 population, between four and eight people every year, died in some sort of conflict, a, a war, uh, a civil war, or some nations battling each other. The, the average between four and eight, and then it would spike when there was an actual, a, a super big war with a bunch of nations. So that in fact, at the, in the middle of the last century, right around the end of World War II, um, between 100 and 150 people out of 100,000 per year were dying from, from conflict. Well, that number is now down to less than one. It's almost not even measurable anymore compared to the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of history that we, have, that we have data. So, I mean, you may be concerned about uh, the next war that's coming down the pike that might affect us, but how many of you last week were afraid to drive to work because you were afraid some neighboring tribe would steal your car and, and take you off as a slave, right? I don't think anybody had to worry about that. So that's what I'm talking about. So that threat has been eliminated. 
the result of all this progress is, and here's where I want to camp and try to uh, emphasize this point. The result of all this progress is that now we are living in an, in an age. We're living in an age that nobody in history has ever experienced. For 6,000 years, nobody has ever lived without those three big threats, um, you know, hounding them all the time. We live in an age now without that. So we have a, a chance to engage with God in a way that was completely inaccessible to almost every other generation that preceded us. Completely inaccessible. Because for most of those people, by the time they got to the end of the day and they did their survival living, there was nothing left. Um, there, was, there was no way that they had emotional uh, energy left over. In fact, if you think back to uh, a dad who was, uh, you know, running against those three threats, he would say, um, look, if I take my eye off the ball for a minute, if I don't plant the, the seeds, if I don't harvest the crops, if I don't build that wall up to protect us, and, and my family dies, then that's not love at all. That's not love at all. And so he could be believing that love means uh, pursuing uh, protection and provision at the expense of emotional connection. This is how love can become divorced from emotional connection for some people. So that was before, but now God has lifted the veil. The hand of God has removed those three threats from most of the people that um, live in, in Western civilization. As an example, um, it's been a little more, more than a year. I tried to find it on the the website, I couldn't go back far enough, but we did a series on emotions. How many of you remember that? We did a four-part series or several-part series on emotions. And um, if a 100 years ago, if a pastor had said to his congregation, you know, I'm going to do a four-part series on emotions, people would have said, what? what? What are emotions? I don't even know what you mean. Counseling, counseling as a profession didn't even exist a 100 years ago. If you were depressed 100 years ago, the best you could hope for was somebody to smack you in the face and say, snap out of it. You know, that's, that's what counseling was 100 years ago. But, and, and I'm not, we didn't do that sermon series because our teaching staff are just tuned in to the, the newest cultural ideas and that they're reading pop psychology. No, our teaching staff have the capacity now, because the veil has been lifted, believers have the capacity to discern spiritual truth that they couldn't have 100 or 200 years ago. So they can see, oh yeah, God wants emotional connection. It's been there all along. How could we have missed it? But we've missed it because we've been fighting against these threats for so long. So there's a ton of amazing cultural and social implications that I'm not even going to get to, but because I think the personal implications are more important because the church, we, we need to get this right in order to offer the world around us an alternative. They're still swimming out there in this survival living, and if we don't have a way to show them security living, what that looks like, then they're just going to be lost. Um, so... And, and what I mean by 
what we need to do, we need to throw off the curse of survival living. Jesus broke the curse at the cross. He's paid for it. But we need to walk out of the chains intentionally. We need to have our minds renewed um, uh, to renounce the lie that I have to fight these three threats. A hundred years ago, our, our ancestors, they couldn't renounce that lie because it wasn't a lie. They had to fight those three threats. Now we don't. For us, the idea that we need to be concerned about them is a lie from the enemy. So we need to renounce that. Um, the blessing of walking in the blessing of security loving, a deeper continual experience of the Father's love. This is, this is where it comes down to, and this is how you can check whether or not you're still struggling with or um, battling survival living in some way. If you are confident in God's love for you, and by that I mean his infinite, uh, eternal, unconditional love, and not only for you, but for the people you love, your family, you know, your, your kids, um, the people that are close to you, and not, not only those people, but the people around you in the community, like um, the guy who's driving in the car uh, in front of you, and he's, he's driving like an idiot, but... You know what? God's um, infinite, eternal, unconditional love applies to him too. And, and God attributes infinite worth and value to him too. If that is rock solid with you, then you're practicing security living. But if that's wobbly or if sometimes that's inconsistent, then you're still dealing with um, survival living. So I'm going to give... I'm going to give a few tips for a few areas of uh, survival, um, faith, parenting, and marriage. But after that, we're going to do some ministry here. And so I want you to begin now to think about whether or not you're in one of these two groups. Um, group number one is, um, yeah, I know I'm, I'm still afflicted with survival living in some aspect, either in the way I parent my kids, in the, the way I'm, I'm connected to my wife, or in what I believe about God, some aspect of that. Um, and I would include in this group, group number one, people that have, um, know you've experienced some wounding from a deficiency of emotional connection in the past with someone significant in your life. And honestly, that, that could be all of us. I think every one of us here has experienced some wounding in that area. And you know why? It's because <laughs> the, the world has yet to see a generation of parents who love their children the way God does. I didn't love my kids the way God does. You didn't love your kids the way God does because we're still battling sin. So every one of us has some kind of a wound from a deficiency in emotional connection. So, uh, so that could be group number one. Group number two is just, hey, I'm clicking in, in security living. I'm, I'm on board. I really experience consistently the love of God for me. But I still want to grow in survival faith or survival parenting or survival marriage. So those are the two groups. But let me give you a tip or so um, for each of these areas. For security faith, 
focus on the cross. When our kids were small, um, we said, there are three things you want, we want you to learn before you grow up and move out from our care. Number one, God loves us. Number two, we live in grace. And number three, God loves the world. And we put that second one in there because without it, we live in grace. Without it, we could say, oh, yeah, I know God loves me. But we could fall into the trap of believing it's because we're doing something good. Because we're trying hard. Uh, that's why he loves us. And then if, if we stop, he might not love us. Or he might not certainly love us as much. So you've got to have the unconditional love piece. Romans 5.8 says, uh, Paul writes, he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. So he says, this is a perfect picture of God's love, what it looks like. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it was before we could do anything good, before we could even ask for his help, he died for us. That's unconditional love. And when you experience unconditional love, you, you have a deep emotional connection there. You just can't avoid it if you really experience uh, that unconditional love. Um, get connected to our community. Uh, we, we've talked about um, there's a new ministries happening, pastoral care, a bunch of things going on. If you just volunteer, connect with a group, that's a way that um, you don't have to be married, uh, you don't have to have kids. Uh, part of security faith, and uh, Jordan Pelfrey had a message during our vision series on on community and its role in being an apprentice of Jesus, part of security faith is living in a community and sharing life with one another and having emotional connections with one another. Security parenting, affirmation and rebuke, another uh, example from when we were raising our kids. Um, and Karen and I read this pamphlet by a, a pastor named Gordon McDonald uh, early in our marriage, and it changed everything about the way we discipline our kids. The idea is that um, you, you're always going to need to discipline your kids as they're growing up, but if you pair affirmation along with the rebuke, along with the correction, then they're going to know that you're still committed to them. Because the, the crazy thing is when you're disciplining your kids, um, the emotional connection you have with them is, is up, up for grabs. And, and the child is thinking, is this, this, um, uh, this caretaker that's important to me, are they still going to be connected to me after this, or are they about ready to cut me off? And if you, if you jump in, in lo with love and affirm, so, so what it would look like is when we needed to discipline the kids, we say, look, I love you. I will always love you. There is nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. I will always love you. But look what you did. Look what has to happen now. We can talk about the, the discipline. You know, uh, you, knew, you knew going into this that if you did it, here's what would happen. And the point is that we need to lead with the affirmation. If we lead with the rebuke, it's always going to come out loud and scary. But the only way we can speak in calm, measured tones is by leading with the, the love part. And if you think about this, if your kids are always perfect, th they'll wonder, will my parents love me when I mess up? So when they mess up, 
that's the perfect time to rush in with love, rush in with the affirmation to say, okay, yes, you messed up, but this does not jeopardize our relationship. It's never going to be cut off. I will always love you. So that's important for uh, security parenting. Joyfully embracing children. There was a ton I wanted to share about that, but don't have time. Um, and then in security marriage, one super quick tip that Karen and I have been applying since we, we were part of this marriage class um, in the spring here at the church. It's uh, when either of us leaves the house for some reason, we always, we greet each other, we say I love you, and we give each other a kiss when one of us is leaving and then when the other one comes back. That's, that's different from just walking out the door, hey, heading to the store, be back in an hour, or come back, you know, hey, I'm home, throw the keys down, go do whatever you were doing. Um, we, we stop, connect, look at each other, and, and give each other a kiss and say we love you. So, and the, the, um, the benefit for this, guys, fathers, husbands, um, there's a study from Germany that says men who kiss their wives before they leave for work every morning live an average of five years longer than men who don't. So there's, there's an incentive there. So, um, but no, I, I, I want a ministry, just a, a, few, a few minutes left. I want to um, do some ministry here. So think of those three groups, two groups, I'm sorry. If, if you feel like... Um, uh, survival living is still something that's a part of your life. If you're, if you're not completely confident all the time of God's deep abiding and unconditional love for you and for those around you, and or if, if you feel some wounding uh, in the area of a deficiency of emotional connection. And I want to say this again, I don't think I did before, this is not blaming our parents Okay, this is not blaming our parents. What I'm saying is we have, we have the opportunity to see something that our parents and grandparents couldn't even see. They were just blinded to it. There was no way they could understand it. But we can now. And yet, in the reality uh, of it is that we didn't get everything we needed in terms of emotional connection. So maybe it, that there's winning. That's one group. And the other group is I just want to grow in security, faith, or parenting, or marriage. Maybe because I want to I train others in this. It's so important that I want others to get the vision for this. So if you're in either one of those groups, just go ahead and stand up, and then we're just going to um, uh, ask the Holy Spirit to do some work here. So either one of those groups. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, just come. Come and just hover over the place, God. We worship you. We worship you. We're going to ask for a fresh baptism of the Father's love here. When, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, a voice came out of heaven and said, this is my son whom I love, and in him I am well pleased. So we just say over everyone here, God, these people are your children whom you love, and in them you are well pleased. You are well pleased. 
Holy Spirit, just move, move in your hearts. God, we break off the lie that we still have to fight against those threats to survival. Uh, we break off the lie that emotional connection is some sort of option or um, not really that important. And um, God, just open up our hearts to, to receive more of what you want to do. If any of you are feeling some kind of a weight or feel like you want to cry or anything like that, um, we're going to have the prayer teams down front. I encourage you to keep coming, keep receiving ministry. Prayer teams can come right now, um, but uh, the rest of you can go get kids, and uh, we just pray, God, we send these people away with everything um, good that you have uh, planned for them, God, to, to experience more and more of your love for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, amen.